The Yankees are going streaking! Not through the quad, through all of their opponents. They just bested the Braves in two straight. Heading into that matchup, they shared the longest winning streak in baseball with the Bombers. Now, the Yankees stand alone as they head into a four-game weekend set with the A's. Will the streak continue, or will Oakland say, See ya! to the Yanks' winning ways. The voice of the Yankees, Michael K., joins us to discuss. So join us on a win streak edition of the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All right, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with my co-host, four-time Yankees World Series champion Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our depressed Met fan producer, Jake Brown, as well during the show. Follow us all on Twitter, at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43, and at Jake Brown Radio. Yes, Network, Yankees play-by-play voice, host of the Michael K Show on ESPN Radio, and friend of the program, Michael K joins us later in the program. But first, I figured we'd have some laughs with our producer, Nelly, because, you know, there was a couple nights ago where there was a swing by Javi Baez. It was kind of like out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon <laughs> when Bugs threw his changeup and three guest house gorillas struck out on one pitch. <laughs> I mean, that's what it reminded me of. Hey, they drill him in. Did he did he fall to his knees? Did he go oh to his ground? Oh, my like... God. What the <laughs> hell is going on with your team, Mr. Brown? What it is... looked like my little league, my one year of Little League. It looked like all every swing attempt <laughs> I had. I was about just, just a bit outside. I Listen, you guys took care of business for us. You go out there, you beat the Braves. We're like, I'm like, great. We could get two games yeah the Braves get two days off meanwhile the Mets poop their pants the poop stripe pod continues they lose both to the Giants they're a walking mess they live five double plays they can't score a run they can't play small ball everything's going right for the Yankees everything's going wrong for the Mets and uh yes you did tweet me that and I could not believe my eyes it was trending all over Twitter broke the internet of how bad a swing that was can you explain why Lindor didn't play either I mean was he it's like one game and all of a sudden he has to have a days off ask your good friend the computer the computer will tell you oh can't go two (laughs) nights in a row he just got hurt. He can't. He, and yet he comes in in the seventh inning. If he could play a third of the game, why can't he play the whole game? He's worth and how much money did they spend with him? Yeah, exactly. 341. It's yeah. unbelievable. I don't know if yeah. that's a Rojas or up top, but, you know, we talk about it here about, you know, the Yankees and guys not going three days in a row. Two days in a row. Two. It's not that hard. I listened to an interview with Rojas yesterday on my way in when I was coming from the airport to the city. Not not a very good speaker as far as on the radio. Not, he's a not robot. very good. Yeah. He's a walking robot. The game on Wednesday, the San Francisco Giants basically hired a butler and walked out and said, Here, Mets, <laughs> win this game. <laughs> and they still couldn't. I saw our producer's tweet. It was desperation time. The polar bears up with the bases loaded and two outs in the ninth, down by a run. I mean, Nelly, how many times when we were growing up in our backyards playing wiffle ball or stick ball or whatever the hell we were doing, when we put ourselves into that position that uh, Alonzo was in last night, in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded, and he hits a humpback liner to second to end it. I mean, good <laughs> Lord. I, I have to be one. At least our, At least our faithful producer mr brown was chilling in his luxury suite this guy is like cosmo kramer 
he falls ass backwards into all these great seats at all these stadiums and arenas all over the tri-state freaking area. Meanwhile, I'm working until I drop dead. I haven't been to a game that I haven't worked in and since I went to that game that got rained out with you two for crying out loud. I mean, Jesus, I'm just going to start I, calling I you Kramer just, from now on. I just find ways to uh, Have you yeah, been to a, a game line. that the Mets have actually won? Maybe? maybe it's crazy because they were winning every you. time I went. Yeah, maybe, maybe it is. It's, it's been the last, the month of August. I mean, talk about the dog days of summer. This has been the dog days of Mets summer this last month. They're going to write a, a book about how bad And it's 100 degrees out. Who needs yeah, I was Bumble? Who needs Bumble when you could just swipe right on Jake's pics that he posts on Instagram for car or Twitter for crying out loud? Exactly. Oh, oh God. You're a, you're a hater. You're <laughs> a hater. <laughs> have the Mets even won? How many world championships have the Mets won, for real? They've won two, and I've been alive for zero. No, so I've got more than their whole organization. You have, yeah. yeah, you you, mm. you have extra. Jeff yeah, Nelson, hand us a couple. Jeff Nelson for Mets two. Well, well, Shani, <laughs> while you're working this weekend, if it doesn't rain, me and Nelly will be there Saturday. So oh, you're welcome God. to wear the rings and flash them in my face on Saturday. Oh, Who knows? Nelly. Maybe we'll find our way in the TV. Nelly, you have to do it. You have to do it. Well, I'm getting the tickets from the Mets. The thing of it is, is that, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to rub that in. So, and the only problem is I don't have them here. So, well, probably we, better off. we're, we're depressing our listeners by talking about the New York. Maybe Mets. I'll wear a Schmedium, uh, amazing, but true podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'll take you a shirt. Get, I got an XL for you. Ready to go. <laughs> Extra no, small. I, I believe he said Schmedium, your size. So we'll see yeah. what happens with that. But uh, Jeff, as the Mets uh, and our producer, Jake Brown, is wallowing in there, um, sinking like a stone right now, uh, the New York Yankees and their fans, I mean, they're having a parade around the Bronx right now because their team has won 11. I mean, the Spinal Tap amps went to 11, and so has the Yankees winning streak as we tape this year on a Thursday before they start their four-game set with the A's. Everything just seems to be going right, but the one thing that we brought up with Bob Lorenz on Monday where we both thought would be an issue for the Yankees was the only thing that went wrong, and here's where I want to start. I want to start with Chapman, and I know what Yankee fans might be thinking, like, oh, he's got to start with something negative, but it's not really a negative. In a way, it's a negative, but it's a positive as well because Aaron Boone had his <laughs> he had his finger on the pulse in that game and he saw that Chapman didn't have it and he went to Wandy Peralta. So if you want the silver lining or the negative turned into a positive, I think that was it, Nelly, because you're dealing with two freight trains, as we mentioned on Monday, steaming directly towards each other and the Yankees and the Braves having won nine straight games apiece and the Yankees went into Atlanta and they handled the hottest team in the National League and got out of there with a two-game sweep. But I thought the biggest moment of that two-game sweep was when Boone had the Gouillons to go out there and get Chapman out of the game. Yeah, which is, I think that was huge. You know, Aaron Boone hasn't really got a whole lot of credit or, you know, mostly a lot of discredit on the way he manages. But that one was, I don't know if it was a shocker, but in, in some ways it was because you usually just let your, your closer out there and let him bake and let him die. And, and you know, that's what you usually do. But that was, I thought it was an outstanding job. He read the situation. He was able to get the bullpen going as quickly as possible. And they wound up getting a win because because of his move. So he deserves a lot of credit for that and not letting Chapman out there to die and not, you know, actually, you know, helping their team sweep. I mean, who knows what, Paul, uh, you know, Wandy would have done, but at least he made the move. He got Chapman out of there. He knew he was struggling 
And, you know, he deserves a lot of credit. I mean, he hasn't been getting a whole lot of it this year, but he deserves a lot of credit for that game. And give a lot of credit to Peralta, too. He fell behind Freddie Freeman 3-1, threw him successive change-ups until he got him to fly out. And, I mean, as we heard some Met fans say, if that was the Mets pitching down there in Atlanta, that would have been a grand slam and the game would have been over. But exactly. Well, luckily for Yankee fans, uh, that, that ball was squeezed and uh, the Yankees got out of Atlanta with the two game sweep and an 11 game winning streak intact. And now they set their sights on Oakland. And you know, Nelly, it's kind of weird. You look at this winning streak and you, and you look at all of the teams that the Yankees have gone through, you know, there've been some kind of, there've been a couple of powder puffs in it, but you can't shake a stick at a three game sweep over the Red Sox. The Braves were the hottest team along with the Yankees. That's five wins right there. And you have to play who's in front of you. And they're playing their best baseball at the right time of the season. And you go through all this winning streak and you got to look at the Tampa Bay Rays right now too. Because if the Yankees didn't put together this 11 game streak, the Tampa Bay Rays would be running away with the American League East. As we tape this right now, the Boston Red Sox are seven and a half games out. And that's because the Rays have been playing out of their minds. But kudos to the Yankees. Kudos to Aaron Boone. You know, the cut and pace that we talked about on Monday continued through Atlanta. And now they head to Oakland where they're one in nine at Oakland Coliseum since 2017. So we were talking, Jeff, before we came on the air and started taping this. And you were kind of telling me that you couldn't believe that there were only four uh, 10 game winning streaks before this one was added to that since 1996. And you were part of one in 1998. Just can you kind of verbalize how difficult this is? No matter who you play, how difficult is it to string together 11 straight wins? Yeah, you know, I was really surprised when you said that. It was only five times and, you know, only the 98 team. You know, we won 114, so I figured, okay, we had to have even 99 and maybe 2000, even maybe the 96 year. We had to have at least one time that we won 10 in a row. And and it was amazing to hear that that stat. You know, that, that just shows how difficult it is. You know, to go out there, and it doesn't matter who you play. I mean, you can get beat by the Orioles, who lost 18 and finally snapped that streak uh, last night. So it, you know, it just shows that this team is going out with an attitude. They're going out on the field, they're crossing the lines, and and they have that feeling that we're winning every t- every single time that we that we play. And it showed. I mean, it's very difficult to win ten in a row. You know, you look at the nine in a row that the Braves won until the Yankees beat them on Tuesday. It's it's just tough to do against any major league team. Something usually happens that makes you not win that game. Whether it's an error, whether it's a good pitching performance from the other side. I mean, you can a guy that you've never heard of takes the mound, and all of a sudden and you're getting beat by him. But, you know, to win 11 now, and now they're going to go out into Oakland and they have a chance to, you know, separate themselves even more from the A's. And I'm sure Boston's kind of hoping that the Yankees win. It's probably the only time that Boston is rooting for this because they're in the second wild card spot. The A's are a game and a half behind Boston and the A's have actually gone backwards as well. They just lost, I think, a series to Seattle. And, you know, they're not even going in the right direction. And they made some pretty good moves at the trade deadline. But the Yankees are hitting the stride. They're, they'll go out on the West Coast. I mean, if you look at their upcoming schedule, the last nine games of the season are tough. I mean, you have, and, and the sad part of it is you just mentioned Tampa Bay. They only play Tampa the last three days of the season. So hopefully those three days, something's, hopefully that means something. Hopefully maybe the, maybe the Yankees are in first or they're a game out and this series really means 
means something because now, you know, you're kind of hoping and watching the scoreboard saying, okay, who does Tampa play? Okay, I hope they will, I hope they lose. And then we have to take care of business. They see Toronto in the middle of September or first week in September for four days, and then they don't really play anybody tough. And I'm going to say the Mets are now one of those easy teams that the Yankees will be playing. You know, they don't play a tough team until the end of no, uh, the end of September, the last nine games of the season. Sad, but true. Yes. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Jeff, because I was thinking of th- this was actually literally keeping me up last night because I was trying to figure out the best infield configuration defensively. If it's all about saving runs and defensive save runs and analytics and all that other stuff, why not? You know, because Gio Rochelle is supposed supposedly going to be activated tonight for the first game in the Oakland series. You definitely want him at third base. He's your better defender. I know Rugnet Odor has given you clutch hit after clutch hit. He did cool off for a while, but he did hit a big home run in that Braves series. So I was just thinking to me, and I want to know what what you would do if you were the manager, Nelly, but what I would do is keep Velasquez at shortstop until Glaber Torres comes back. I would start Gio Rochelle at third, Velasquez at short, keep LeMahieu, Planet at second, and Rizzo at first. To me, that's your best infield defensive alignment, and that's a pretty damn good defensive alignment. I know Velasquez is not going to give you the pop that you could get out of a Rugnet Odor, out of a Glaber Torres when he comes back, but to me, it's what we talked about on Monday with Bob Lorenz. You don't need a home run hitter at every position. Can we just have a freaking baseball player like Urshela? You know, he gives you pop but he could take it everywhere. He's a natural hitter, just like LeMahieu. We've talked about this before, but I'm curious, what would you do with the infield alignment with Urshela back in the fold? Well, all the teams that I ever played for, it was always defense first. You know, it was always, uh, you have to play solid defense. Pitching and defense, that's what wins, you know? I mean, okay, you're going to score some runs. That's why you have four rings. That's why you have four rings. You know, you're going to score runs, you know, but pitching and defense is going to win. And if you don't do one of those two things, you're probably going to wind up losing the game. So, you know, if it was me, I'm probably going more defense. As much as I like the balanced lineup and having Odor's bat in there and, you know, maybe seeing Urshela slide over to short, and maybe that happens on occasion just to get Odor in there. I got to have defense. I got to have my best defensive alignment, and that's the way I'm going to go. You know, sadly, Odor's the odd man out because you want Urshela. Urshela is an outstanding third baseman, and he obviously doesn't hurt you at the bat either because he hits the ball to all fields and, and he keeps the ball in play. So you're not missing anything there and you sacrifice a little offense with Velasquez because he's such a good shortstop and he's a, and you know he's just an electric type of player right now and he's got everything going for him and and you can hide him in such a powerful lineup down at the bottom and hopefully that he you know has a couple hits or does something good offensively but I gotta go to defense I, I, I've got to have my best defense because if you look at it if you put Voight in as a designated hitter that means you have three trees in the outfield you have Stanton Judge and Gallo so you know which is not a bad defensive outfield because you have Gallo and Judge but you know Stanton's a little bit iffy he's not a great left fielder or right fielder whichever one they put him in but he, he can hold his own so I much rather have defense oh, here here's the other thing that that's actually to me I mean it's not great for Odor because he's not going to be out there every day potentially but if LeMahieu is really struggling with this tricep I mean he hasn't been hitting like he's struggling and starting to actually pick it up. But now you could actually give Odor regular time and get him some at-bats because he could spell LeMahieu at second. He could spell Urshela at third. I just think there's going to be opportunities for him. And he also strengthens your bench, Nelly. I I mean, the Yankees have 
you know, had some thin benches this season uh, because of injuries, because of COVID ILs. And now with Odor coming off the bench, that's a little pop off the bench. And it's also a good thing for Urshela, who's just coming back from the hamstring, and for LeMahieu, who you hit the nail on the head a couple of weeks ago by saying, you know, I think he's struggling with something, and you were right. Yeah, you know, I think Odor's one of those players that you really don't, he doesn't really need consistent at-bats. He can come off the bench, and he's not a consistent offensive player anyway, so he runs into a few, and, and you know, he he adds that left handed presence and he has power yeah so he adds that in the lineup Voigt is one of those guys that need to me needs consistent at bats you can't have him come off the bench and expect him to have a pinch hit every week I mean once a week or once every couple days it just doesn't happen I think that's why he stressed so much that he he needed a player he wanted to play because he needs those consistent at bats but I think uh, with Odor you're right I mean you, you can spell or shella you can give him a day's rest because you're always going to have to be, I guess, a little bit leery about his injury and and say, okay, hey, we got to we got to take it easy. We want him for the rest of the year. We want him for the playoff run. Uh, so you know, Odor's going to get his chances. And even with Lemayhew, you just mentioned you got to have this guy in the lineup anyway because he's just a, such a great hitter. And you know, even though he has the the tricep issue, and it's also, I mean, obviously caused him not to have such a great year. And I'm glad you know somebody figured it out and came out with it because you know you don't ever want to see a player get rung by the fans or, or by the media because he's playing through a lot of injuries and nobody knows. So now everybody knows and they can give him the benefit of the doubt and probably give him, you know, a pat on the back just from going through what he's doing. So, you know, it's uh, it, there's going to be plenty of opportunities, I think, for at-bats. I think the biggest thing is just, okay, how are you going to work Void in and keeping? you have to keep Rizzo at first, but, you know, you're going to have to go with the three trees in the outfield and you're going to have to spell Stanton every once in a while. Yeah, you're going to have to do that too, but I, I don't think often is going to be a problem for this team. And I don't think the starting pitching is going to be a problem for this team. If everybody stays healthy, all of that will be great. But I want to bring it back to where we started. How concerned are you with Chapman and what you saw in Atlanta and what could be exponentially worse in September and a potential postseason appearance as well? Well, obviously it's a concerning because you look at his second half, it hasn't been good at all. I mean, he's had some spurts where, okay, it looked like he was coming back, but I still think that a sticky stuff has something to do with it. You know, every once in a while, you probably get a batch of baseballs that you really don't have to use anything. And maybe those couple occasions are that he did go out and do well you know, maybe he didn't need to have that grip on the baseball or whatever. But now, I mean, you're you're starting to see it. And when the weather gets cold and when it starts getting a little chilly in September and even out in Oakland, you watch these night games, it's not going to be, you know, 90 some degrees. 57, 57, I looked. (laughs) So it's going to be chilly at nighttime. And, you know, so you're going to have to figure out how you're going to get a good grip on the ball. So yeah, it's concerning. And I think it's the sticky stuff. I think something is really, really going on with that. And it really has affected him. It's good practice for October. And since you brought it up, how much of an adjustment is it, Nelly, to go from, you know, the, the the heat sometimes of September too into October when it got butt chilly in New York? It, does, how much does it affect you, especially as a pitcher, especially as a reliever? Because you're out there in the bullpen for most of the time and you're sitting there. I mean, I know you get up and you move around to keep your, your, your blood circulating, but how difficult is it to go from those battles in the heat to the postseason in the cold? For a reliever, it's a little bit easier because you're always, once you're, once you're up, you're staying warm. It's just a matter of staying warm down in the bullpen and you have the heaters. I mean, you look at the, you know, out in Oakland, you're wide open down there. So you kind of hope that you have some sort of heater, but once you're up, you're always moving. It's fine, but it is a grip of the baseball. I mean, you go from humid weather on the East coast 
uh, or in Texas or wherever you are where the weather's really hot, and then all of a sudden you go to a cool place, then it gets a little bit tougher to, to grip the baseball. It becomes a little slicker the way they rubbed up the baseball, the mud or whatever they're using. Uh, it becomes a little tougher to get a grip. So that's the concern you're going to have for these four days. I mean, besides Sunday, you have the day game. Uh, you're going to have a little concern on the three night games because it is a little cooler. And, and even the starters, who I mean, whoever's been using this sticky stuff, and I've seen it uh, you know, league-wide with some of these pitchers as far as their stuff is not as sharp, especially their breaking ball. And maybe even their command of their fastball. You're going to have to figure it out. You're going to have to come up with some ways that, that you can hide it a little bit better or, or do something, you know, to try to be able to grip the baseball better. All right. Well, we'll see if that affects Chapman out there in Oakland because it is supposed to be in the upper 50s for all four games at night. And they moved the uh, Sunday game to Sunday night on ESPN. Uh, and speaking of ESPN. We welcome in our next guest after a short break. It's a uh, host of the Michael K show, ESPN radio, Michael K, and also the voice of the Yankees on the S network. And he comes up right after this break on the pinstripe pod from the New York post. As promised, friend of the program, the voice of the New York Yankees and host of the Michael K. Show on ESPN Radio, Mr. Michael K. Michael, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Let's just start by asking you, uh, if anybody has their pulse on this team, it is definitely you. What has been the biggest difference or differences that you've seen in this team from July 4th when they were teetering on going under 500 in that doubleheader against the Mets and through this 11-game winning streak right now? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you took July 4th because a lot of people take the trade deadline and they say that the addition of Rizzo and Gallo is the reason that this all turned around but they started to turn it around in the second game of the doubleheader against the Mets and why they did I'm not quite certain is it because they hit rock bottom and they couldn't go any further I think there were a lot of injuries there were COVID situations I think they kept calling up people uh, from the minors that never thought they were going to get their shot in the big leagues this year and those people have stepped up this is their chance this is their time this is their opportunity they've made the most of it they've added um, dynamic aspect to the team that they can run they're playing better defense now so the the team that you know, used to rely on power and was subpar defensively didn't run the bases well that slowly evolved into one that did all of those things well and then i think the addition of, uh, of rizzo and gallo really balanced out the lineup and made them even tougher yeah you know i agree with you michael and you look at you look at those two additions and, and what it does to a clubhouse and if you're a yankee in that clubhouse you're probably not one i mean before the trade down you're probably wondering you know are we going to make any move do they think that we are worth making that move? And when they do, it's just such an electricity, an adrenaline rush when you go out and all of a sudden you see two guys that you're like, wow, I mean, look what we got. Whether, you know, you hear rumors all about Rizzo's, oh, we, you know, they had to block other teams. Whatever it was, it worked. And and it's just a shot of adrenaline through this locker room. And it has showed. I mean, it, it makes you, I guess... For me, it makes me forget about all the stupid struggles and everything that we kept seeing the roller coaster ride that they had before they made this trade. Absolutely, uh, on all points. And I think that uh, in the very opposite way, Jeff, uh, it's affected the Red Sox. You know, the, the Red Sox were, you know, riding high and their team didn't do anything. I mean, they ended up uh, bringing in Schwarber uh, in, in kind of a, an answer to the Yankees bringing in Rizzo. But the Yankees were just, I mean, they were just slogging along. And, and, you know, there were rumors, which I never believed, that, you know, the Yankees would sell things off. I don't think this is a sellable team. You know, there's a, there's a lot of guys making a lot of money. You just can't dump players like that. So I think that would... Hal Steinbrenner did with the blessing of uh, Brian Cashin did with the blessing of Hal Steinbrenner was, you know what, let's add. The thing that just jumps out at me, now now obviously the message it sent to the players was they believe 
And I think that did give them a jolt of electricity. But, but what Cashman did to be able to add guys like this and absolutely not add a penny to the payroll, it, it, it's one of the most amazing things. Now, I know he gave up young talent, but he didn't give up his top seven prospects. He didn't give up the guys that everybody was asking for in the trade. Balti's still here. Dominguez is still here. And he gave up some of the depth of the Yankee farm system. And the Texas Rangers are paying for Joey Gallo. And the Cubs are paying for Anthony Rizzo. To me, that's phenomenal. So the Yankees got better and didn't have to spend a dime more. All they had to spend was some player equity from the minor leagues and guys that might not have ever made it to the Bronx. Doesn't this remind you about when Mr. Steinbrenner was around, when he started making trades? If you look, okay, you had some, obviously, Mo Pettit, Bernie Williams, Jeter, Posada. You had five guys come up through the minor league. But it always seemed that the Yankees developed their players to trade them. You know, we're, we're going to develop you, but we're going to trade you to other teams, and we're going to get superstars. And it kind of reminded me what they just did now by getting Gallo and Rizzo. They traded guys that you really don't know. Okay, they're, they're a number. Hey, well, this is our seventh prospect or our tenth prospect. But you don't know what these guys are going to pan out to be in the big leagues. You know exactly what you got in that trade deadline. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that what the Yankees have gotten right over the last 20 years and Chris and Jeff you can look at it the guys that they've traded to better themselves at the trade deadline or even during offseason trades who has really come back to haunt them there really has not been you know a Fred McGriff or a Jay Buhner deal where they could sit back and say 10 years later oh my goodness well what a terrible deal that was they know what they're doing they scout their own system well and yeah they've given up players like the guy they're facing tonight James Caprillion in the Sonny Gray deal well I mean it's it's like four years later and he's starting to finally you know find his footing, but uh, the Yankees have not dealt away guys that have come back to haunt them. So they know their farm system. The other teams probably don't know their farm system as well as they do, and uh, I think the Yankees have made brilliant moves. And and listen, I'm not absolving Cashman of the way this team was put together. I thought it was a clunky team. It was too right-handed. Didn't have any speed, but I also give him credit for not saying, well, I'm going to go down with the ship. He pivoted and realized what was wrong, and he corrected it. I think that's a sign of a really great GM. Yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. Mike, Michael Kay, uh, author of the My Most Fascinating Interviews from A-Rod to Jay-Z, his center stage book with a forward from Bob Costas joins us here for a bit. We appreciate you, Michael, for coming on. You can get the book on Amazon. You can get it for your Kindle hardcover audio CD as well. We'll get into your book uh, a little bit later, Michael. First, I want to, you know, you brought up the Red Sox. And Nelly and I, at the beginning of the season, we were trying to figure out the American League East. And Nelly, uh, I don't want to put him on the spot here, throw him under the bus, but he kind of scoffed at the Rays. And I never, ever, ever since 2008, I will never underestimate the Rays ever again. I remember sitting down in spring training in Tampa at our hotel, reading uh, the paper and, and reading about the Rays saying that they were good enough to get to the World Series. And I just kind of put my nose up at it. And where were they in 2008 playing the Phillies in the World Series? So ever since then, I've always kept my, my eyes on the Rays and their system and what they've been able to do with cash. Has it shocked you? Because Michael, if, if the Yankees don't have this 11 game winning streak, we just talked about it in the last segment, the Rays are running away with the American League East. It's not even yeah. a contest. It, it doesn't shock me because I think they're one of the smartest front offices in baseball. Uh, what shocks me is the Red Sox were in it. You know, at the beginning of the year, I'll throw myself under the bus. I thought this was a rebuilding year for the Red Sox. I, I didn't think they were going for it. They didn't make any major moves. They stayed with what they had a year after they traded Mookie Betts. And, uh, you know, I, I think that they had a plan under a guy that came from Tampa Bay to rebuild everything and rebuild it the right way with not having to spend $200 million to win. But they've surprised me that they're still hanging in there, although they had a tough loss last night. But the, the, the Rays, uh, I'd be really reluctant to ever make a trade with 
the Rays. And because I've always heard this in other sports too, you never want to like destroy the opponent in a trade because you're never going to trade with them again. I mean, look at the trades they've made. They've embarrassed people. The Pittsburgh trade got that whole front office fired. I mean, imagine <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, sending Chris Arster for three guys that are really going to help the team. One guy hasn't even made the major leagues yet, Austin Meadows, and uh, and then the, the, the kid whose elbow blew out, but he's Last a million. really good pitcher. And, yeah, uh, so, I mean, that was an unbelievable deal. Everything they do, and, and you watch, what, what, you know, the, the Snell trade is going to end up being a great trade for them, too. They know when to cut bait. They know their players better than anybody, and they know how to, to really improve their team on the margins, which I think is a real art. And if I'm an owner of a big market team that's spending, like, $220 million for payroll, and I'm not in first place. I just point to Tampa Bay. How are they doing this with $60 million? How come they could do it? And it's not like they're just doing it one year and then they disappear for six. They're consistently a contender. There's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, I, I was. I didn't I didn't give them much credit. I thought for what they did in the wintertime when they traded Snell and they weren't signing Morton back, I didn't think they were going to have enough. I thought this was going to be an easy division for the Yankees, and, and you know, it, it hasn't turned out that way, and now they don't play the Rays until the last three days of the season uh, but they've done a great job it's just a matter you know once they get into the playoffs and the computer starts going backwards and that's uh that, that kind of kills them once uh you know that computer is a an evil thing for the race but you know to go back on just real quick on, on the chemistry or you know chemistry whatever you want to call it i I'm, I'm a big chemistry guy i i think that when you see a team play well and you look in that dugout every night there's smiles on the faces and i thought in the beginning of the year all the way up when you say july 4th it was stale there was nothing. It was it just going through the motions. It, it was just no fun. I mean, you watch these guys. It was like, this should be the be- one of the best teams in the American League, and they're playing like the Bad News Bears. But then all of a sudden, Florial, you had Allen come in, and then all of a sudden, you get Velasquez. And you, and you always needed that young energy. Even when we had teams, Michael, you had you had a Ricky Lede. You had a Homer Bush. You had a Clay Bellinger. You had guys that were young inexperienced guys just came into a veteran team and added all kinds of youth all kinds of youthful energy and and it showed not just on the field but in the locker room and in the dugout I think that's so important, Jeff. I think that when you have a, a team of stars, and the Yankees always seem to have a team of stars, you have to sprinkle in those younger players who, you know, just, you know, they want to get what the stars have because sometimes the stars get bloated with their own success and just expect it to happen. And and you're right. Up until the second game of that doubleheader against the Mets on July 4th, they seemed miserable. It seemed like they were playing in quicksand. They were playing underwater. And, you know, just this 11-game winning streak, I even mentioned this on the broadcast the other day when they beat the Braves. You know, they're all on the top step of the dugout. They're jumping up and down. They're celebrating. You didn't see that joy. Now, you can speak to this better than I can, Allie, but I, I don't know if you're happy when you win or you win if you're happy. I don't know if one's a product of the other, but this team seems a lot happier, a lot more energetic, a lot more joyful. There's electricity. Uh, they never seem like they're out of it. And it reminds me, at least during the stretch, Obviously, the whole team does it. But Paul O'Neill has told me this a number of times. In 98, you guys went to the ballpark. You didn't think you were going to win. You, you, yes. you expected to win. And when you lost, you were shocked. I was still so trying to tell Chris some of the that same vibe thing. going on. Yeah. I, tell Chris the same, I tell Chris the same thing, that exact thing that you just said. You're right. You expect to win. But, you know, you look, when you have useful, when it, obviously when you're winning, it's more fun. I mean, it's never fun when you're losing. But you love to come to work. When, when you have that feeling that, uh, you know what, we're going to win today. And if we don't, you know, look at Mariano, Mariano Duncan's, hey, let's, we play today, we win today. That's it. I mean, that, that's, that's how our, you know, that's how we felt. And, you know, it's fun coming to the stadium. I mean, you had, you know, old Yankee Stadium had 30 media members. It was hard to move around. You, I mean, you couldn't hide from anyone. You, and you had Mr. Steinmetter 
around. There was all kinds of distractions or things to try to throw at your game. But when you're winning, it, it's fun to come to the park. It's fun to come see the guys or mess with Jeter or mess with, you know, Tim Raines. And now you're seeing the same thing when you have Velasquez or a Greg Allen or or guys, or you look at Odor. Odor is, has got to be a character. Void is a character in that in that locker room. So you got to be. It's got to be a lot more fun to come to the park. And, and I think winning breeds that. I mean, it just gets stale, and you're like, oh, here we go. We're going to Yankee Stadium. We're going to play today. Maybe we'll win. Maybe we won't. Yeah. Sometimes with the Yankees, and I, I always use this line that you know, they're very corporate. And, uh, you know, it's perfect that they wear pinstripe uniforms, just like they do in corporate America. And sometimes there's, there's a joy that's sucked out of it. Remember Brian Cashman, when he signed CC Sabathia, said, I want you to fix this clubhouse. Because there was, you know, there were there, there might have been factions. There wasn't that happiness, and CC brought that in to the team back then. And I think that the young guys now have done the same thing. I mean, Andrew Velasquez is like a rallying point for these guys. They see this is the dream of every single kid. I mean, we look at it. You know, I come from the Bronx, so I look at it. He's playing for every kid that played sewer to sewer, and you know, the foul line was a you know the Cadillac down the block. This is that guy. <laughs> this is the guy realizing all of our dreams. So I just think that the Yankees sense that too, and I think the fans do as well yeah i i couldn't agree with you more i mean did you say sewer to sewer because that was pretty much our field too i mean we played telephone pole oh yeah we played telephone pole to telephone pole (laughs) and we had the same kind of thing and when you're doing you're playing stickball it just makes you feel like when he hit that home run michael being from the bronx as you just said i gotta get your thoughts on this but when he hit that home run and his family's out there and they're crying and the the smile on this kid's face i'm getting goosebumps as i say it now but the smile on his face Saturday when he was getting to hit third was ear to ear. It just hit you. And if, and if it didn't hit you, you don't have a pulse. I mean, coming from the Bronx, growing up there, what, what does his story mean to you personally? It's again, it's every kid who ever played in a rocky field or on concrete and dreamed of hitting that home run at Yankee stadium. He's doing it. And you know, when he hit that home run on Saturday and the shot of the family crying, I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, allergies kicked in in my house. My eyes are tearing. <laughs> I, I couldn't stop myself. I really couldn't. And I, I know as you get older, you, you get you get more emotional about things. I don't know if that's it. You know, I, I cry at the opening of a grand union now, but that really hit me. I don't know why, but that really hit me because I think he's playing for everybody who ever came out of this borough and dreamed of playing in that uniform and, and, and dreamed of playing in that ballpark or the one across the street. You know, I wanted to ask you, you know, just you look at this team and obviously the way it's going, you know, you hear so much about, oh, team chemistry is overrated. You know, that, that, you know that you don't win because everybody's having fun in the dugout or you have great team chemistry. You know, I, I believe team chemistry, and I think you're seeing it now, what it does for a team. I've been on, you know, the Yankee years when we won five World Series, four World Series, you know, we we had clicks, obviously, but at the end of the night, we had 15 guys together. One of the best teams I've ever played on that we didn't win a World Series would 0-1 in Seattle. I mean, it it was just 25 guys that just loved each other, and it was just so much fun coming to the park, and it, it was, we showed it on the field, and I think you're seeing that now. I think you're looking in the dugout and it's not stale. You, you, you have these young guys that are all of a sudden, you know, bringing the old veterans down to earth and saying, hey, this is a game and, and this is fun to play. And when you have fun and your team chemistry is going well, whether it's in the locker room or in the dugout, I think it's, I think it's a big a big advocate of winning is is getting along and having that, uh, having that team chemistry. I, I agree. I mean, chemistry combined with the talent, obviously you can't have a terrible team that likes each other. They still lose. But when you have a team that's really good, 
Charlotte and the Yankees have an awesome amount of talent and then they're getting along and there's that, that camaraderie, I think it pushes you to the extra length. And I think you also have to give a little credit to, to Aaron Boone. You know, his you know, kind of a chill nature is critical or, or criticize when they're losing. Oh, he's not doing anything. He doesn't care. But then when you see times like this, you realize that that chill atmosphere gets them through those rocky times where they don't panic. And I think that, you know, I think Joe Torre had that a little bit as well, but he also had the fire. And we don't know. We're not, we have not been, none of us have set foot in that clubhouse for two years now. We have no idea what's going on behind closed doors. I mean, he could be ripping into them, but fans want him to rip them uh, on the Zoom conferences after the game. They want him to throw things. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that, and I think that's paid off now. I think his equanimity has really helped them get through that rough patch and now has led them to this point. 100% correct, Michael K. My most fascinating interviews from A-Rod to Jay-Z, uh, the Fords by Bob Costas. Michael, there have been so many great interviews on center stage. I attended some of them, actually. Adam Sandler, Bon Jovi, Mike Tyson, Serena Williams, Larry David. My favorite, though, was with Billy Crystal. What was your favorite, and, and, and who's someone that you want to get for center stage maybe in the future? Well, I mean, these 35, were. it's tough to get from like 240 shows to 35, but I did that. You know, obviously the Crystal show, it, to me, that's an easy show to do because he's such a performer and all you have to do is, you know, just tee him up and then he can go for 10 minutes and do any kind of bit that you want. So we've had him on twice. We had Bob Costas on twice and, and both of those shows are in the book. Uh, Larry David, it will always be my favorite. I just, I, I love his work. I love what he's about and I thought he was great on the show. And since since that show, we've kind of become friends. So he'll text me during a Yankee going, how could they take that guy out? You know, he's like a real <laughs> fan. But the, the show that really stands out to me is the, the Tyson show because it was so nerve-wracking. You know, he showed up late and then uh, he's on the stage and there's just so much like, I wouldn't say it's positive electricity, but this. There's a crackling energy, and he's crying, and he's laughing, and at times I thought I was going to get hit. I mean, he was just, he, he ran the gamut. He really did. And, you know, you're sitting on the edge of your seat, you know, you're like sweating, because you just don't know where he was going to go. He was really honest. And I found this out later, guys, that um, I, only, I, I, I found it out after we, you know, we printed the book, but uh, that show aired for the first time, and watching that show somewhere in Brooklyn was Spike Lee. And after the show ended, he picked up the phone and called up Tyson and said, that's a Broadway show. Right there, what you just did, that's a Broadway show. And that's what they turned into the Mike Tyson one-man show. Now, I don't know how I got cut out of it, but I did, but <laughs> at least it was an inspiration for a Broadway show. Well, I just want to say, I'm not, I don't have a question. We'll wrap it up, but I, you know what? I, I think you, you're one of my favorites. You do an unbelievable job. You get me down the highway when I'm going to a, a lackluster team in the Miami Marlins, my hour-and-a-half hour drive. You. But, uh, you know, I always enjoy listening to you. I think you do a tremendous job, and, uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm glad to get to know you. Thank you, Nelly. And, and it, you know, like Chris said about buying the book, I'm going to have my car at a flea market this Sunday, so I'll, I'll sell them out of the trunk. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, we appreciate it so much. And, and I know Nelly just gave you props there. But for everybody who asks me all the time, I always have glowing things to say about Michael. I mean, ever since I started it, yes, he's been a mensch. And he continues to do that to this day. So I thank you for helping me along in my career. You've been nothing but great to me. Michael K., thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it, pal. Thanks, buddy. You're going to be at the game tonight with us, right? Yeah, I'm doing the Oakland series, and I'm doing uh, two games Good. of the Angels series, too. So I'll see you for the next six days. I'll see you in an empty stadium, buddy.
That says goodnight to episode 81 of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for producing the show. Go on Apple Podcasts right now. Give us a five-star rating right in a positive review. We appreciate it. You can also find us on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. We appreciate your continued support. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We are back on Monday following the Yankees' four-game series in Oakland with the A's. Enjoy the games and your weekend, and thanks for listening to the Pinstripe Pod, everybody.